Well, we're uh, in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 5. Um, this was a message I was going to share with you uh, a few weeks ago uh, before the Connecticut shooting occurred. And so I postponed that, uh, this message till today. And uh, we're going to be in an interesting passage of Scripture. Question, do you like, do you like new things? Do you like, you like the new technology that comes out and, you know, something comes out and you've got to learn it, uh, for the first time? Barbara's pointing to Steve. Steve likes new technology. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of new technology because it's kind of overwhelming to, to learn something new. My, my wife gave me a Christmas present a few years ago. Uh, a Magellan, you know, one of those GPS devices that tells you where to go. Well, I didn't know too much about uh, this Magellan when it came out, and here I get this Christmas present, and I'm, I'm, you know, less than thrilled of what I'm looking at here because I'm thinking it's something I'm going to have to program and and reprogram, and just feeling really overwhelmed at how am I going to, to, to learn this thing? And my wife tried to explain it to me, and I, I know that she was very disappointed <laughs> by my reaction to that Christmas present. But uh, in using that device, it, uh, it was really easy, and I'm, I'm once we used it, uh, we, we took a trip to Santa Barbara. We had some uh, doctor's appointments that we needed to go to, and, and we used, uh, we call her Maggie. And uh, Maggie was able to direct us all around those little streets in Santa Barbara, if you're familiar with Santa Barbara. And, uh, man, it was, it was a great tool. And, you know, had I just went with my initial reaction with this uh, GPS device, you know, I would still be using Thomas guides today. You know, remember those Thomas guides, those big, thick books? Why are you guys looking at me like I don't know what I'm talking about? Oh, this is Ridgecrest. We don't need big, thick books for uh, for Thomas guides here in Ridgecrest. But, uh, you know, I came from Southern California, and, and that was a way of life in, in, uh, in the Inland Empire. But, uh, you know, had I not upgraded to uh to uh the magellan uh, i would still be dependent upon thomas guides uh you know i come from the eight track generation you know i i was thrilled when eight tracks first came out i mean you can put a whole album in your cassette deck and listen to this album play over and over again. You wouldn't even have to touch a button. But uh, we've gone way beyond uh, eight-track tapes, haven't we? Except for Arturo over there. He's still in the eight-track generation. But, uh, yeah, now we have iPhones. And uh, you can put... A whole Tower Records store, which is out of business, but you can took, put a whole music store on, on your phone and, and you can sync it with your car stereo. And that, now they have, uh, stereo devices where you just tell your stereo what you want played and it'll play for you. And it's, it's a whole new day and age. But, uh, 
You know, it's a little overwhelming when those fir- devices first first come out. Well, this passage is all about change. Because um, Jesus is introducing new things. And it is totally rocking, and I don't mean in a good way, in a bad way, the religious establishment. You know, Jesus isn't doing things the way it's always been done. And this morning's passage is on the heels of, um, of a party that Jesus attended with uh, the tax gatherers and the, and the sinners. And people were questioning, Jesus, why are you hanging out with, with those folks? And, uh, and so this is a continuation of that, that uh, scenario that we looked at a few weeks ago. And we are in verse 33 this morning, and we're going to go through verse 39. Luke chapter 5. And they said to him, the, the, the Pharisees, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. So the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. You aren't fasting, Jesus. Your disciples aren't fasting, Jesus. What's up with that? Verse 34, and Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. Jesus is introducing a new way of doing things. The the old system is, um, is going to be done away with. And if you're going to be, if you're going to experience God, you're going to have to be willing to be flexible and just and adjust to get in on what God is doing today. Basically what Jesus is saying in this passage of scripture. He's going to be talking about two metaphors, um, cloth and wineskins. And... Um, what he's going to be sharing with us this morning is you can't connect the old with the new. The two cannot go together. One has got to die so that the new might be brought in to a new way of life. But before he gets into uh, cloth and wineskins, Jesus first answers a question about fasting in verses 33 through 35. Um, the disciples or the disciples of the Pharisees, the disciples of John the Baptist, they're watching Jesus and, uh, they ask him the question, why aren't, 
why aren't you doing what we do? Why aren't you behaving like we behave, Jesus? Um, they're really upset. They're ticked off because Jesus appears to be having fun with sinners. And Jesus isn't fitting into the religious establishment's mold. He's doing things very differently. And fasting in this passage of Scripture or in New Testament times, this was a way of life for, for the disciples. It had kind of evolved. When fasting first came on the scene in the Old Testament, it was introduced in um, the book of Leviticus. Uh, God had told the people to come together on the Day of Atonement and to, to fast, to afflict yourselves, and to just make it a solemn assembly where you look inwardly, you look at your own sin, and you seek forgiveness, and fasting is to occur on the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement was in the month of October. It's actually on my brother's birthday, October 9th. And this is when all of Israel, both collectively and individually, they were to to fast. That's the only time the Bible uh, commands uh, the children of God to fast. But from there, Fasting evolved. Now, fasting's a good thing. In, in the book of Joel, you'll you'll find that uh, you know God was judging um, Israel, and and God told or Joel called the people together to fast and to seek God's heart, and and they did. But as you go into the New Testament, um, it evolved into something that was practiced two days a week. It would be practiced on Monday. And Thursday, and disciples of, of John, disciples of the Pharisees, when they fast, fasted, everybody knew that they were fasting because they would wear drab clothing. Uh, some of them would put uh, ash on their faces, kind of whiten their faces uh, to make them look, you know, as if they're not having any fun at all. They're really depriving themselves. And this is what religious people did two days a week. And they're looking at Jesus and they're looking at his disciples. They're not fasting. Jesus, why aren't you behaving like us? Why don't you and your disciples fast? And Jesus says this in verses um, 33, uh, verse 34, he says, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Fasting was not allowed at wedding celebrations. If, uh, if you were getting married, uh, tradition in this day and age, in that day and age, uh, there would be a celebration that would last an entire week. The wedding party would invite their friends to come over to celebrate with them. And as long as people were with the bride and the groom, uh, fasting was not permissible. It was a 
It was a celebration. It was a joyous occasion. And what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture is, this is a wedding celebration, guys. I am the bridegroom. And as long as I am with you, it needs to be a feast. It needs to be a joyous occasion. And we are, we are enjoying each other's company. And fasting is not allowed. Now, there's going to be a time for fasting when the bridegroom is taken from them. And what's that referring to? That's referring to Jesus' betrayal. That's referring to Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. And there's going to be a time where fasting is appropriate. But as long as the bridegroom is is with, with you, um, it's a time of celebration. Now, understand that what Jesus is saying here, Jesus, this is another reference to Jesus declaring himself as God. All right. If you look back at the Old Testament, look back at uh, Isaiah chapter 62, Jeremiah chapter 2, or Hosea chapter 2, verses 16 through 20. God, God declares himself in these passages of scripture of being the husband, or he's going to be the husband of Israel. And one day, uh, Israel and God are going to be get together, be together physically, spiritually for all eternity. That's what he says about himself in the Old Testament. Now here we see Jesus in the New Testament and Jesus saying, I am the bridegroom. I am the husband of Israel, of spiritual Israel. And in this occasion, it is a time of celebration. Now, what's the application for us today as the church? Well, folks, if we go back to Luke, uh, I believe it's Luke chapter um, uh, Luke chapter 3 or Luke chapter 4. Remember, we talked about the fact that... Um, as Jesus introduced his ministry, uh, he was introducing the year of Jubilee. Folks, we're still in the year of Jubilee. In fact, you know, Jesus went through the betrayal, the crucifixion, and came upon the resurrection. He was, he was resurrected from the grave. Guess what? Jesus is alive today. Jesus continues to be with us today. If you go to the, the book of John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapters 1 and 2, uh, Jesus says, you know, the old way was to go to the temple and worship God, but this temple is going to be destroyed. His temple was going to be destroyed, but in three days it was going to be raised up again. Jesus is the new temple. And we find relationships, we find the presence of God and relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus our temple today, but the Bible says our bodies are his temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. 
We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God dwells with us today. What does all this mean? The bridegroom is still in our presence. It's not necessary for us to fast. It's not necessary for us to go around with doom and gloom on our faces. Folks, Jesus is alive. And he walks with us. He lives in us. And is there a time for fasting? Absolutely. We can get alone with God and... and um, recognize our sin and ask God to forgive us of our sin and, and kind of reset our our walk, our relationship with God. But it is, is it something that needs to be done continuously? No. We're in the year of Jubilee. Jesus is alive. The bridegroom continues to be with us. And this is what Jesus is conveying to us in this passage of Scripture. So my question to you is how do you conduct your life? What does the countenance, what does your countenance and faith reflect? Is it between the cross and the resurrection? Or is it post-resurrection? Does your countenance and your faith tell others that Jesus is alive? Jesus is on his throne. And you have a living and vibrant faith. Folks, we can't afford to go around and and look as if we've been gargling with battery acid. That's not our relationship with God. Jesus is alive. And we can be excited about that. And people ought to know that through our tone, through the expression on our faith and how we treat other people. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the bridegroom today. He is alive. He is with us today through the Holy Spirit that he's given with us. He lives in us. It is a time of celebration. And then he goes on and he talks about two metaphors. He talks about the old system passing away uh, for a new. And he talks about cloth and wineskins. Let me just read verses 36 through 39 again. He told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does... He will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says... The old is good. The old and the new can't go together. The old must be done away with. 
And what Jesus is referring to or the parable he's using is the cloth. If you take a piece of new cloth, if you have a hole or a tear in the old cloth and you use the new cloth and sew it to the old cloth, well, number one, when you go to wash that cloth, that new cloth is going to shrink and it's going to tear away from the old. Second, that old cloth is not going to match the new cloth. It requires a whole new cloth. Jesus is introducing a new concept to the religious establishment, a new way of doing things. And he uses, so the parable of the old cloth, and then he talks about the wineskin. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. Now, what were the wineskins of that day and age? It was basically um, the, the stomach of a goat. Uh, they would take the intestines, the, the stomach of a goat, and um, <clears throat> they would dry it out, but uh, that, that stomach was somewhat elastic, and they would put the, the new wine into uh, the wine skin, uh, that container, the, goat, uh, the goat's intestines. And uh, as that wine fermented, as that wine expanded, the f- flexibility of the, the goat intestine would grow with it, and it would contain the wine. But after a time, um, the wine skins, if it was an old wine skin, it would grow hard and brittle and inflexible. And if you p- tried to put the unfermented wine into an old wineskin, as that wine began to expand and ferment, uh, the inflexibility of that wineskin, that old wineskin would burst and you would lose the wine. And so the new wine required new wineskins. And Jesus is saying, you can't put old can't put new wine into old wineskins. The new wine requires new wineskins. Folks, Jesus wants to put his presence, his, his activity in the life of a new creation. If we're going to experience the presence of God continuously, we have to be willing to adjust. We need to be willing to have godly, Christ-like attitudes who are willing and looking for God to do new things. And that's hard for people to do. We don't like change. We like things to stay the way they are. And Jesus knows this. Look what he says in verse 39 or verse uh, chapter 5. He says, And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Now, This is hard for a Baptist preacher to talk about because I don't know the difference between old wine 
and new wine, okay? I'm just not a connoisseur of wine, but apparently the old tastes better than the new. And Jesus understands this, and and uh, and people don't want to drink the new because they think the old is better. Now, is Jesus advocating the old over the new? No. He's just saying that it's a fact. It's a hard for people to change. But if we're going to experience, church, the blessings of God today, we have to be willing to be flexible, adaptable, because God is not static. He doesn't do things the same way over and over. God is a God that does things new. So what's the application? Our hearts, minds, and attitudes need to continually be renewed. We can't afford to grow hard, brittle, and inflexible. And what does this mean? We have to constantly be willing to die to ourselves. Die to what we want, what we think is right, and be open to what God is doing around us. This time last year, we began the Experiencing God series. And we learned that God is always at work around us. And he hardly ever does the same thing twice. He's always doing something new. And folks, people who are new wineskins, people who are of the new creation, are adaptable are flexible, are not living unto themselves. They're being a sacrifice to others. I've got two videos I want to share with you this morning. Uh, one, there's no sound to this video, but uh, it's it's a perfect picture of the cross. Let, let's go ahead and turn off the lights. And let's let's watch this. We turn off the stage lights too. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? The little girl was too little to get across. But big brother laid down his life and allowed little sister to crawl over him. Man, that's a picture of the church. Church, we need to be willing to sacrifice our wants, our desires to do whatever it takes to reach others for Jesus Christ. To let them be able to cross over and experience the things of God. I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago we were at I was at the uh, state convention, 
and uh, there was a church who um, had to change because the community around them had changed, and uh, they were no longer relevant to their community. There were lots of different languages around them. And uh, this church had to be willing to die to themselves to experience God again. And uh, it's a testimony of about six and a half minutes. Uh, kind of watch the time, Jody. It's going to, at 6.45, go ahead and conclude. But uh, I want you to just uh, hear this testimony of this church in Burbank and what God is doing. We'll need to turn the sound up all the way. It was working on Friday. Like we had they began to, to try to imagine a different uh, future. We were so happy when Robbie and his family came because they have been the spark that got us going. They was different. When I hear them talk and, and when I think back to what they gave up to to get to where we are right now, I'm not sure I could defer music style, uh, church design, uh, just all the things that, that are different here. I can't think of a thing that I gave up that I that it wasn't worth it. I had an idea that this church could potentially help plant new churches. We have an interesting congregation. There were other guys that were wanting to start churches here, other languages, other, other styles of church, and we realized that hey, we could share this place. The agreement was that we would be a blessing to one another, the different churches that, that started meeting here, and that would be a blessing to the city of Burbank, and that we would reach people and grow people. God has called us to this area. Burbank seemed to be one of the most ungodly places. People are not running to the churches here. We want to uh, be able to share God's word with with the community. Revelation talks about every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and, and we've had a taste of that. My story began from 2005. I was underground pastor in Iran. They sent prayer requests for me when I was in jail and persecuted. I didn't know that. One day I would come here. I didn't have any plan, but God's plan is amazing. We began to, to see the, the beauty in the diversity. We love, uh, we love our church and our people and our, our different culture and languages. But in my wildest dreams, I, I never envisioned this. The fellowship with the Rabbi's church and with other churches. We do like uh, common uh, activities on Christmas, on Easter. We sit and all eat. We feel like we're in heaven. Regardless of, of ethnicity, at uh, class, or any of that, God wants to do a work everywhere. And I tell them, this is the church. There was this sense that we were kind of catching the same tempo, and we were on this journey together. This is uh, an experience like none other. We became like a family. It's amazing. I've never experienced anything. I don't want it to stop. I want to, I want to experience more. Uh, this is uh, Robbie Pitt. Yeah, give him a hand. 
Now you got quite a church. How many congregations do you have in that facility? We have seven. Oh, oh, is that all? What you just you stingy, huh? You didn't want to go. We're not sure how many, but we know seven can fit, and we would we would like more. Yeah, and how you start at like ten in the morning, and how how late in the does it go? It's all over about seven thirty in the evening. Oh my goodness gracious! Uh, list list the different congregations, Robbie. Spanish, Korean, Arabic, Armenian, uh, Afghani, African American, and whoever you are. Yeah, yes. yeah. All right. Now, you have a guest here. This is Augusta. I've only heard stories about her. She's been around the church, I guess, longer than you. A few years longer than me, about 40 years longer than me. Uh, How old are you, Augusta? I'll be 93 next month. Oh, oh, yeah. Now, I heard you, you, you got to lead part of the parade for the renewing of the facility. Is it true your your mom gave you some money she wanted help to help ministry? When when my mom passed away, before she passed away, she said, I want at least a tenth of my what you get given to the church. So I took my tenth and gave it, and they padded the seats in the church. They were just plain seats in. And uh, so, and then had the piano tuned and that took care of her money <laughs> oh that's wonderful and you remember the church in its heyday probably ran what three four hundred people at least you had to kind of hunt for a place to sit when you yeah. come in if you were late and so you remember it when when there were the hard wooden pews and you're the one who softened the hard wooden pews <laughs> well my mom did your mom did but you made sure it came through and then, uh, Robbie, you guys made a decision to try to modernize the facility or to, to expand. Uh, how did it work that you, you, you thought about changing the pews out? Well, we wanted to, to make the room more flexible to have different things. We host a lot of community events, hip-hop classes, things like that in the, in the facility. So we realized chairs would be more flexible. We would have dinners together with all the congregations, and we were able to buy round tables so we could oh, okay. have a big family celebration. Uh, now I'm I'm seeing you know if, if you're a normal pastor this this is where this is where you get fired right here that the person who paid to pad the pews is not going to be excited about you messing with her her pews by this time how'd that work out well at first I wasn't very happy about it <laughs> so but be it, honest yeah as uh, uh, I realized how much better it was to have the chairs uh-huh. that we could move around and. So uh, I accepted it. And, go ahead. Augusta said that uh, she spoke honestly to me and said, my preference would be pews, my preference would be an organ and a piano and, and hymns. But she said my preference really is uh, comes way down the list in terms of wanting to see God work in our church. Oh, now, that's awesome. Tell me there's not a deep spiritual principle right there where you give, but you've, you recognize you gave to the Lord and, and you keep an open hand even years later. I, you're one of our heroes, Augusta. Way, way, to, way to lead by example. Uh, Robbie, tell me. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what this passage is all about? You know, Augusta would have missed out on that blessing had she been an old wineskin. 
she wasn't an old wineskin, was she? 93 years old, but she's an example of a new wineskin where God can put new wine into new wineskin. This is what Jesus is introducing to the church. He doesn't want us to be conformed to the old. He wants us to be followers of him. He wants us to die to our own desires and live for him. Followers of Jesus die to their own desires. Followers of Jesus knows what it, know what it like it's like to lose their life to gain their life. That's why we're going through this not a fan series. I hope that uh, you choose to be a part of this not a fan series. Because when you truly learn to stop living for yourself and being a living sacrifice and, and living for others, that's when you really begin to live. And that's when you see the activity of God in your life. That's what we're going to be studying over these next six weeks. Find a group. Get involved with that group. Allow God to speak to your heart. Church, God wants to use us. In order for God to use us, we need to be willing to say yes to him and no to ourselves. Let's bow our heads. And I want to pray a prayer. I just want to encourage you to make this the prayer of your life. And this be the prayer of our church. Lord, fill me up with new wine. The wine of your spirit. Help me to be able to contain it rather than seeing it lost through my own inflexibility or stubborn ways. Father, you want to move in my life in new ways. Help me be open to your spirit and not miss what you have planned. Father, I thank you for the the testimony of Augusta. And the example that she is to all of us here in our church this morning, 93 years old and still willing to to make the adjustments necessary for people, for God to you work in people's lives. Father, I thank you for the many people of our church who have made the adjustments in order for us to reach new people in our community. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would continue to bless them. Father, may we be a church for those new wineskins. Flexible, adaptable, willing to be used of you. 
May you be glorified in this community. And through Emmanuel Baptist Church. As we continue to pursue you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.